This is the Proactive IT Podcast. This week, the latest in IT and cybersecurity news, not having MFA enabled might cost one optometrist $100,000 or more, Google collecting PHI, and a local Connecticut physician's office breached. Hello, everyone. Again, this is Scott Gumbar, the host of the Proactive IT Podcast. This is episode four. Every every week, we talk to you about the latest in tech and cyber news, compliance, and more. We also bring you real-world examples to learn from so you can pr- better protect your business and identity. This podcast is brought to you by Nawash Tech, a HIPAA-compliant, client-focused IT consultant located in frigid central Connecticut. You can find us at nuagetech.com. That's N-W-A-J tech.com. All right, so first up on the docket, Patch Tuesday update. Patches did roll out yesterday for Microsoft. I received the alerts in the middle of the day from my clients and um, was able to test and roll them out for most of the clients yesterday. So here's what you can look forward to. First of all, Hyper-V, past several months were dominated by patches around remote desktop protocol. This month update has a large number of Hyper-V patches that address the following uh, vulnerabilities. These are all CVE 2019. You have dash 0712, dash 0719, 0721-1309-1310-1389-1397-1398-1399. One of the problems, uh, a few of the repaired vulnerabilities fix a problem with Hyper-V VM switch, which is, which in its pre-patch state might permit an attacker to execute code on the host operating system. And then what Microsoft refers to as a failure to properly validate input from an authenticated user on a guest operating system. Um, and more often referred to as VM escape where malicious code running on a VM can jump out of the virtual environment of the VM and onto the host machine. So those have been addressed with the most recent patch. So if you are a Hyper-V user, if you have Hyper-V in your environment, on your servers, you're going to want to get that and get that updated. Windows kernel patching. So they found and fixed a few memory corruption vulnerabilities. Uh, Windows subsystem for Linux. One patch rolled out for that. Scripting engines, again, as we've seen pretty much every month, there's been scripting engine patching for Internet Explorer, Edge, Chakra, and VBScript. And then, uh, and that's pretty much it. So that's your Microsoft. It's, it's a quieter month for Microsoft patching. Uh, hopefully there's no issues. I have not run into any issues myself on any of my client computers or my own. Uh, so we look to be good there. Microsoft Patch Tuesday rolled out again, November 12th, 2019. Test it and then roll it out. Um, and as as I mentioned last week, the, the Google Chrome vulnerability, if you have not addressed that, you need to address that. So you need to update to Google Chrome 78.0.3904.87. All right. In cybersecurity news, 
Uh, the FBI has warned warned of a skimming. Um, warned of e-skimming. So recently, the FBI issued a warning against e-skimming threats in response to the increase of attacks on small and medium-sized businesses and government agencies. This new form of attacks occur. Uh, uh, this new form of attack occurs when malicious code is placed within a site that accepts payments. So it's the reason it's called e-skimming. You, you, we're probably all aware of skimming, which is the act of taking a credit card. Happens a lot at ATMs and at gas pumps. You put a, a device in there that could skim the credit card information, and then the credit card information is cloned. Well, now there's an electronic version of the same thing. How does it happen? So like many other breaches, it can originate with a phishing email. Um, and we're going to talk quite a bit about phishing today because there's a, a local hack, a local breach, as I mentioned at the top of the show, that involves phishing. How are they caught? It often takes a while, as it do many breaches. It takes a while. Um, you know, the... the I forget the hotel chain now. I think it was Marriott. It took four years to, to be found, so... Um, sometimes it takes years before before the breach is discovered. And how can you protect yourself? Uh, of course, education is, is key. Um, but if you are protecting your business, run code integrity checks regularly to review any changes to code on your e-commerce site. Monitor, and you should have some type of monitoring on the website. Monitor and analyze web logs for any changes. Always make sure that your systems are updated. Um, and we're going to talk about, I believe we're going to talk, well, we're not going to talk about it. I don't have it here. It was, uh, I did talk about it in the episode two of the daily, the cyber, the proactive IT cybersecurity daily, which is on anchor. A form on zone alarm was compromised because they were using outdated V bulletin software for that form. So you can get details of all of that on my cybersecurity daily podcast which is on anchor and spotify but uh this just goes to show that even security companies are vulnerable you need to keep your software your web applications your operating systems all of those things up to date so again fbi issues e-skimming warning um you know if you're using threat protection that blocks phishing sites then more kudos to you you're you're a step ahead of a lot of people Data breach costs Texas Health and Human Services Commission $1.6 million. In 2017, Texas Health and Human Services Commission, which is comprised of child care and nursing facilities, operations of supported living centers, providing mental health and substance use services, and also administering programs for people in need, um, they were... Uh, fined $1.6 million in penalties from the Office of Civil Rights, the OCR, due to HIPAA violations HIPAA acti violations for activity dating back to 2015. That's when the, that's when the a program called DADS, Department of Aging and Disability Services, notified the OCR that 6,617 records of four patients of the community living assistance and support services and deafblind with multiple disabilities were exposed as the result of a software flaw. The error occurred when access controls on applications and IT systems were not properly in place per HIPAA requirements. 
The exposure came when an application was moved from a private to a public server. We've never heard that one before. A flaw in the software code allowed non-verified users to access patient information. This information included names, addresses, social security, Medicaid numbers, and treatment diagnosis details. The large monetary fine was a result of the time that Texas HHS was out of compliance in regard to the HIPAA rules. They failed to perform a security risk analysis, at least yearly, but it should be ongoing, as we talked about in the previous episode, within the deadline time frame of August 2016 and disregarded the importance of it. Additionally, they acknowledged that they had only performed risk assessment activities on their servers and applications, but had never performed an agency-wide analysis. So again, the Texas Health and Human Services Commission fined $1.6 million for essentially ignoring best practices and ignoring the completion of a security risk analysis. Emotet activity increases by 730%. Emotet, as you know, is, or you may know, is a Trojan um, virus that spreads um, <coughs> through email more recently. It was kind of on hiatus, I guess you could say, and the security researchers have at Newspire have uncovered that activity has increased by 730% in September alone. The important aspect of the new Emotet Trojan detected in September was it appeared with two other notorious malware dubbed TrickBot and Ryuk. These three malwares as a whole were used to cause the most damage to a network. It also included additional features to steal the contents from victims' inboxes and credentials for sending outbound emails. So it is spreading through email. One That is one, um, one method of its Trojan spreading. So an overview of email attacks from September. This was uh, on cyware.com, cyware.com. The first instance of the Trojans activity was noticed in August of 2019 after researchers found command and control servers for Emotet were being revived by operators. In mid-September, the Trojan recorded its first attack campaign that sent emails with financial themes. The, key, the campaign was primarily targeted against organizations in Poland and Germany. Another new spam campaign that incorporated fake news about NSA whistleblower Edward Snowden's new book, Permanent Record, as a lure was reported within a week after the first attack. So people may be interested in Edward Snowden, clicked on a link, and um, were potentially attacked. In October, the Emotet botnet was found using a new malicious attachment that is disguised as Microsoft Office Activation Wizard. And with Microsoft sending out emails now about their new um, agreements, essentially that you need to activate multi-factor authentication, people may get confused and click on on links and then with the start of the holiday season of course we talked about that last week the operators leveraged fake Halloween invitation emails to spread the malware the email pushed out new templates that asked recipients to attend a neighborhood party so what's the bottom line the bottom line is you need to educate your employees your family whoever whoever could be impacted and um, be ready for for attacks all right so now to the uh, meat of our show we have a few topics to discuss today. So the first one is, is Google collecting PHI? And uh, the second one, Starling Pharmacy, located in um, central and northern Connecticut, was breached and had information in their emails. And then finally, 
a blog on the Nuage Tech site not having multi-factor authentication enabled might cost one optometrist $100,000 or more. So let's begin with Google collecting PHI, PHI, Protected Health Information. So I was, as I was planning this week's podcast, I re- realized that I've been saying personal health care and from personal health information quite a bit. It is protected health information, um, just a, a Freudian slip, I guess you could say. But Google is working with Ascension, allegedly, to collect secret patient data. This is according to the Wall Street Journal. Um, this was reported earlier this week. Um, this The project is called Project Nightingale, and Google and Ascension, which is a health system, are, have been collecting and analyzing detailed medical records, including names, birth dates, and um, health information. This, uh, you know, no cause for concern here, right? Nothing can go wrong from Google grabbing all this information. And don't get me wrong, I'm, I'm, I'm a fan of Google. I've uh, done a lot with Google over the years. And, uh, you know, I'm a G Suite partner and certified in, in AdWords and Google Analytics and been to Google headquarters multiple times in New York and in Boston to, to uh, you know, tour the facilities and learn from them. But I just think there's a, the, at some point you have to draw a line and say enough is enough. Google should not have access to our protected health information uh, because we've seen before where information gets compromised and gets leaked. Now, not to say that Google has leaked information, but it's been available on Google, so Google didn't really do much to protect it either. So Google is apparently using the data to help inform its design of new artificial intelligence, new artificial intelligence AI and machine learning software for Ascension. The Wall Street Journal reports that employees at different Alphabet divisions, Alphabet is the parent company for Google, including Google Brain, have access to the patient information. Until recently, neither patients nor physicians knew that at least 150 Google employees already have access to much of the data on tens of millions of patients across 21 states. According to the article's author, Rob Copeland, including lab results, doctor diagnosis, and hospitalization records, among other categories, including patient names and dates of birth. But within hours of the Wall Street Journal report, Ascension put out a press release explaining its work with Google and promising that work is HIPAA-compliant and underpinned by a robust data security and protection effort and adherence to Ascension's strict requirements for data handling. Now, that being said, if 150 employees at Google have access to patient data, that in itself could be considered a a HIPAA violation, depending on what, what information they have. If they don't have names and health, you know, detailed health information, if it's redacted or encrypted, then um, then they're not violation, violating HIPAA laws. Um, it says here, HIPAA does allow providers and others covered by the privacy law, including health plans and clearinghouses, to share protected health data with their vendors and business partners, but only in certain cases. Covered entities which would be Ascension in this case, may disclose protected health information to an entity in its role as a business associate only to help the covered entity carry out its healthcare functions, not for the business associate's independent use or purposes, except as needed for the proper management and administration of the business associate, according to the 
S. Um, so I don't know, you know. So the article goes on to talk about what the bigger picture is, and I'm sure we know what the bigger picture is. Google's trying to get into healthcare. We've heard stories of Amazon potentially trying to get into healthcare, you know, insurance. Um, <clears throat> it's where, let's be honest, it's where the money is. Healthcare is not going anywhere. It's going to evolve. You're going to see more artificial intelligence. You're going to see a, a lot of um, techn technological based, technologically based functions come into the healthcare realm more than already exists. But it just seems dangerous to have 150 people who aren't in healthcare have access to these records and don't and they don't directly impact ascension's ability to do their job so they're not it they're not uh you know they're 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 not maintenance they're not hvac they're not plumbers any you know they're not office staff um so we'll see what comes of this we'll we'll follow this closely and we'll update as as there are updates available Again, Ascension is working with Google. Ascension is a healthcare, a health system, is working with Google on a secret patient data project called Project Nightingale. So, you know, come back for future episodes and we'll see where we're going with that. The second thing we're going to talk about today, second topic, Connecticut Healthcare Group notifies patients of data security breach. So, Starling... Um, physicians located in, they have offices in Enfield, Connecticut, I believe Newington, Connecticut. So essentially they're in northern and central Connecticut. They notified patients yesterday as I'm recording. I'm recording this on Wednesday early this week because of uh, scheduling. Um, so Tuesday, November 12th, Starling Physicians notified patients, notified patients that the company was target of a phishing attack in February. So first problem, nine months ago, they were they were targeted. The problem there is, did they were the f attackers in the system for the last nine months, and they just discovered this now, or did they know about this nine months ago? And if they knew about it nine months ago, that is a HIPAA violation. You did not notify patients soon enough. You did not notify your clients soon enough per per uh, HIPAA compliance rules an investigation was conducted and on september 12th it was determined that the affected email accounts contained certain patients names addresses dates of birth passport numbers social security numbers medical information and health information health insurance or billing information so again another uh, red flag here we have uh, social security numbers, medical information, health insurance information, passport numbers, dates of birth, addresses, names, stored in email. And I've said it time and time again, email is not a storage system. It's You're not supposed to use email to store stuff. Now, okay, I'll give you that. Occasionally you store a document in your email that you want to come back to later. That document should not contain any sensitive information. It should not contain PHI, protected health information, it should not contain PII, personal, um, ident personally identifiable information. So, you know, names, addresses, dates of birth, this is dangerous stuff to have in an email. Social security numbers, passport numbers, why, why are we collecting passport numbers? 
medical information, health insurance information, billing information. So, so many things that can, and so you're also violating PCI uh, by storing this information in email. Um, you're not, you're not, it's not encrypted. Somebody got a hold of it. So, Starlink Physicians is looking at probably a pretty hefty fine on a couple of fronts. It does not indicate, because, in, you know, we were just notified yesterday. This I actually learned of it learned of it at 11 o'clock last night. Um, no indication as to what numbers, how many people were impacted, how many potential people were impacted. Uh, is, you know, what is the recourse? You know, what mitigation will will Starling, Starling physicians take? Not, no indication at all. I know they hired a forensic, um, a forensic, uh, security person to take a look to see what's going on i don't know what they did beyond that the fact that somebody was able to compromise their email means they didn't have multi-factor authentication turned on multiple email accounts were compromised once they did notice the breach they they locked down those email accounts um but if this if this attacker has been in the system for nine months then and i'm i'm leaning towards no that they knew about this and they just tried not to report it but if the attacker was in the system for nine months and they didn't report and they didn't know, chances are they have more information than than is originally indicated by this report. So I, uh, you can you can bet my next uh, HIPAA breach analysis, my HIPAA breach case study will be on Starling Physicians probably next week. And then finally, we do have a, bre a HIPAA breach case study. This one is a case for MFA, so now we have two like that. That one is even. I would th I would think this one is even more. Uh, you know, the Starling Physicians is a little more um, relevant in this case, as you're going to learn. So on NawazTech.com, the last, the most recent blog post, HIPAA breach case study, a case for multi-factor authentication. So what happened? Utah Valley Eye Center in Provo, Utah, reported on October 31st, 2019, so just last week, or two weeks ago, sorry, that their scheduling system was com compromised. The compromise occurred on June 18th. So June 18th, 2018, by the way, not 2019, 2018. So 15 months, again, was the attacker in that system the whole time? I don't believe so. I think it just took them that long to report it. The attacker used the information they were able to gather to send phishing emails to the patients. So they grabbed, at the very least, names and email accounts. The attacker sent emails disguised as PayPal emails to compromise PayPal accounts. According to the Utah Valley Eye Center, the attacker was able to obtain 5,764 email addresses and other PI personally identifiable information, such as a home address, phone number, birthday, and names. It is reported that uh, PHI, protected health information, was not accessed by the attacker. However, with that being said, this is on the HIPAA wall of shame, which means that OCR is investigating. So even if PHI was was not compromised, which if, if the OCR is involved, there's a chance it was, but even if it wasn't, you can bet that the OCR is going to review the HIPAA audit policy uh, policies, the um, 
the security risk analysis policies, everything that they're supposed to be doing under HIPAA. And if they find flaws in their HIPAA compliance program, there's going to be more fines. So we're going to get to the to the fines in a moment. Uh, Utah Valley Eye Center did report the breach to the required authorities and did send notification to all 20,418 patients, alerting them to the attack as a precaution. The patients were advised to place fraud alert on their credit files. Now, I, I'm, so I'm not a financial advisor, but I've spoken to financial advisors, and almost every single financial advisor I've spoken to always says, put a freeze on your credit reporting. Um, so I will get a financial advisor on this show at some point so that you can hear it straight from them. So I don't want you to take that from me. If you have a financial advisor, you should speak to them. So what could have been done differently? There are two things that could have been handled differently in this case. The first is multi-factor authentication. So you have an online scheduling system. Why is there no multi-factor authentication? Um, so it's not clear that the option was available with the scheduling system, but it absolutely should be, especially if you're dealing with uh, healthcare. If it is, if it was the eye doctor should have enabled it and used it accordingly, this would have most likely prevented the breach. Uh, and then if it was not, then if it was not available, then they should have been switching to a different provider for the online scheduling because that should not happen today. The second big gap in time from compromise to notification, the breach occurred on June 18, 2018, but was not reported until October 31st, 2019. That's more than 16 months. It's not clear when the eye doctor became aware of the compromise, but if the attack was in the system for 16 months, they would probably have gotten a lot more than 5,764 email addresses. It's important to understand that notification of breaches need to be reported in a reasonable amount of time. So now this was in Utah. I don't know what the time. I, I tried to find it. I couldn't find it. I don't know what the required time frame is in Connecticut. It's 90 days for any breach. If it involves uh, PHI, then it's 60 days. Um, most states will say reasonable time and then give you a, what that time should be. If it just says reasonable time, you know, usually within a few months. 16 months is not a reasonable time. Um, Utah can find $2,500 per consumer up to $100,000, and that's only if it's, if it's PII. In this case, Utah Valley Eye Center is looking at the maximum penalty because, the, you know, $2,500 per consumer, 5,700 consumers, it's more than $100,000. So they're looking at a, a $100,000 fine. Because the records include more than one personally identifiable piece of information, Utah Valley Eye Center is subject to the rules of notification and fines. If it was only one piece of pie, huh, that's pretty funny, one piece of the pie. If it was <laughs> if it was only one piece of PII, then they would not be required to report. But because there's multiple pieces, name and email addresses, they are required. The potential cost. So they will be on the they will most likely be on the hook for $100,000 by the state of Utah from the state of Utah since the breach was just reported a fine has not been levied yet. They could potentially be fined for delayed notification, and that's under HIPAA, as well if Utah has laws regarding the time frame for notification of a, search of a breach. It's not clear if PHI was impacted. According to them, it was not. But if it was, 
and as I stated earlier, the, the you know the fact that it's on the hip of wall of shame means that OCR is investigating. If it was included, you're looking at a much more significant fine based on the number of records that were involved. Utah Utah Valley Eye Center could be on the hook for over eight million dollars in fines and costs to mitigate. Uh, chances are it won't cost that much. You, you know, OCR is not going to find. OCR will tell you that it's they're not. It's, it's not about the fines. It's about making sure that patient information is not disclosed without the patient's knowledge. It's it's about the patient care. Uh, so it probably wouldn't cost eight million dollars, but you the potential exists there you know OCR investigating means they're going to audit your HIPAA compliance program at the very least so the less the lesson here the attack looks to be somewhat amateurish based on the information available a weak password a little social engineering and the lack of multi-factor authentication and anyone can easily compromise an online portal from there it's easy to grab email addresses and other PII personally identifiable information there are freely available tools on the internet to create phishing emails disguised as PayPal. They even help you clone the PayPal site. To avoid all this, the following should have been in place. Use complex passwords or passphrases. I know there's two schools of thought here as far as the security world is concerned. Uh, but pass either one should have upper, lower, uppercase, lowercase, numbers, special and special characters. And they should be long, 15, 20 characters. Uh, so what a lot of people are using is song lyrics, movie titles, things like that, movie quotes. Um, educate your staff on social engineering. And maybe I'll do a, a special episode on social engineering at some point. It, it, we need to do something because people are engineered every day, daily, every day. And uh, you're, you're falling for scams. You know Your employees are falling for scams left and right. It needs to stop fishing is a form of social engineering. So if your employees at a healthcare provider clicking on links, think before you click, then you are failing. You're not educating your staff. Enable multi-factor authentication. And if, if you do, avoid text messaging as the option for multi-factor authentication. Some platforms will offer you the choice between a soft token or SMS, which is text messaging. Avoid text messaging. It, you, it, can, be, it can be bypassed in, in a way. We talked about that last week. Um, Jack Dorsey's account and um, um, the case we had last week. So enable multi-factor authentication. If you're going to use soft tokens, make sure the device that you use soft tokens on also has a passcode or preferably a biometric like a thumbprint or a retina scan, a facial scan. Enable logins from specific locations and IP addresses. So this is something I have set up on websites that I protect. You only certain IP addresses are able to log into those um, websites. So you go to the website. If your website, if your IP address is not on the whitelist, you're not going to be able to log in. And then one day I will show everybody the amount of uh, attempted logins that come from all over the world in the accounts. So if you're using things like admin or the site name or things like that, people w or or even if you're using, you know, uh, the blog's author's name 
as your login. Change it. Just change it to something random that decreases the chances that your, your site will be compromised. But um, enable specific location or IP address so that if I'm in China, I can't even attempt to log in. If the scheduling portal does not have these options, it's time to move on to another scheduling portal. Security needs to be at the top of mind when it comes, especially when it comes to, to client information. While it would be hard to believe um, that the scheduling portal doesn't have these options, I guess it is possible. So they need to move on from that if that's the case. While there is no evidence, evidence that PHI was involved in this breach, the OCR is still investigating. Even if they determine that no PHI was breached, they will likely scrutinize Utah Valley Eye Center's HIPAA compliance program. Other healthcare providers have been fined by the OCR for lax compliance programs in the past. Utah Valley Eye, Care, Eye Center could be on the hook for more than $100,000 fine for having PII breached. Um. So that's that. That's uh, that's a case for multi-factor authentication. I know you. I know you know if you follow follow Noah's Tech on social media, if you listen to me at all in the past, I talk about multi-factor authentication ad nauseum. I talk about not storing data in email ad nauseum, and it just continues to happen. And it baffles me that any healthcare provider would store so much information, so much sensitive information in email. It's just unbelievable to me. Uh, so that's Utah Utah Valley Eye Center. We'll wait to see what happens with Starling Physicians here in Connecticut. You know what exactly? You know how many how many records were were breached? How many patients were impacted? And what the fine looks like and what the mitigation looks like. So as soon as I can report on that, I will. Um, once again, we wrapped up pretty quickly. So again, thank you for tuning in this week. Um, uploading a little bit early this week because I um, need to be in client site and I will be doing the same thing next week. I need to be on client sites. I normally record on Fridays. The next couple of weeks, a little tough to do for that. Uh, as always, any questions, concerns, comments, or if you want to be a guest on the show. So I would be looking for uh, an insurance agent who specializes in cyber liability. I would be looking for uh, anybody in healthcare or legal that can uh, educate our clients, uh, not our clients, our listeners, um, you know, anything related to IT and cybersecurity. So you can uh, email me at sgumbar at nawaj.tech. It's nwaj.tech, and uh, we'll take it from there. Until next week, everyone, have a great week and stay secure. Uh-huh.